Hi, I'm Eric Chaffin, Senior Pastor of Beach Street First Baptist Church in Texarkana. Welcome to The Upward Call, our weekly Beach Street message cast. If this is your first time to connect with us, we invite you to discover more at www.beachstreetfbc.org. Beachstreetfbc.org. Thanks so much for joining us. We pray that today's message will inspire and challenge you as God speaks to you through His Word. Hebrews chapter 4, the message today is called Membership Has Its Privileges. And you'll figure out the significance of the title as we go. We'll be primarily in Hebrews chapter 4, but we may jump around a bit. We're really talking this morning about the priesthood of the believer. But before we can really dig deep and examine everything that means, I think we need to start with a definition of priesthood of the believer. So priesthood of the believer is that doctrine that states that all believers in Jesus Christ share his priestly status. And as a result, there is no uh, special class of people who mediate the knowledge and the presence and the forgiveness of Christ to the rest of believers. And that all believers have the, the right, even the authority, to not only seek Him directly in prayer, but to read and to interpret and to apply the teachings of Scripture on our own. We don't have to have someone interpret it for us. And we'll unpack what all this priesthood of the believer stuff means as we go along. But we're going to be primarily in Hebrews. Uh, if you study Hebrews, you know the theme of Hebrews basically affirms Jesus' superiority over all the major figures of the Old Testament. Because Christ is our faithful, compassionate high priest who is superior to, to Moses. He's superior to Joshua. His covenant is superior to the Old Testament covenant. So when you think Hebrews, think uh, Jesus is greater, higher, superior. So if you got the place, let's read Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16 together. Beginning in verse, uh, verse 14, the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in a time of need." So if you really want to boil it down to its lowest common denominator, the, the big idea behind this passage is this. That in Jesus we have a faithful, compassionate high priest who can identify with humanity and who can lead us to salvation. And because we are His, because we are Christ's followers, because we are in Christ, as Paul would say, then we need to understand a couple of things this morning. Okay, now the first one is this, that membership has its privileges. 
Membership has its privileges. In fact, you'll remember that as a slogan, an advertising slogan that was actually used back in the 1980s by American Express. And you, you might remember some of the commercials, you know, they're full of expensive things and exotic vacations. And, and oh, there's the guy whose flight got canceled. So he uses his handy dandy American Express card to get a last minute flight home so that he can see little Kimmy in the school play uh, be a potted plant. Uh, and you will recall that the commercials often ended with some famous person, you know, holding up their American Express card, you know, like a, a Paul Newman or a Jerry Seinfeld or somebody. And there was the tagline, membership has its privileges. Well, the implication, of course, is that, you know, certain things were only available uh, to the user of the American Express card. Uh, and if you wanted to really get in all the rewards, you had to be a member. Now, y'all do understand that you do eventually have to pay all that back, right? Yeah. But you see, being a Christian, being in Christ, being a member of the body of Christ, there's a tremendous privilege that you have. You see, Jesus Christ is not only our King of Kings, but he is also our great high priest. Now, the major job of a priest was to facilitate worship, to enable God's people to come before him and to have communion and, and conversation, to bring an offering of worship, also to find strength and encouragement and healing and power. But you see, that's what Jesus has done for us. He has bridged that gap between us and God. He has made a way for us to come before God and to worship Him. Now, it might be helpful to our discussion if we back up from Jesus a bit and go back to the Old Testament for a moment. You see, after leading His people out of Egypt, God provided them with a detailed description of how to worship Him. You find that in the book of Leviticus. And a significant part of that description was setting aside a large group of people, people from the tribe of Levi, they were called the Levites, to be priests. And their job was to serve the Lord in the tabernacle and, and later on in the, in the temple, to offer sacrifices brought by the people, and so the people would bring their offering of grain or of animals or whatever and give them to the priest who would then in turn present them to God. And in its simplest form, the responsibility of the priests was to present the people to God. And so the priests, the Levites, really functioned as a, a go-between between humanity and, and God. But you see, it doesn't work that way any longer. Since we are in Christ, here's the first thing I want you to notice in verse 14, we have a great high priest. We have a great high priest. And out of this entire group of priests that we read about in, in the Old Testament, one was chosen for a very unique role. He was chosen to be the high priest. And this guy had some extra responsibilities, one of which was his annual duty on behalf of the people on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. And Leviticus 16 actually describes in detail all the responsibilities uh, of the high priest on this day. But the primary purpose was that this one day, all the sins of God's people would be recounted and atoned for. 
So what would happen is the high priest would take two goats, okay, to sacrifice one of them and to place all the sins of God's people on the other. And so he would put his hands on the one goat and he would recite out loud all of the wicked and rebellious thing that God's people had done that year. Then that goat, known as the scapegoat, would then be led out into the wilderness and released, symbolizing the carrying away of all the sins of God's people. Okay, that being done, the high priest was then allowed to enter into the holy of holies. Some of your translations will say the most holy place. Well, the holy of holies in that time, that was the very place where God chose to manifest his presence. And he would, the high priest would enter into the holy holies to, to to sacrifice for the sins of the people. And this was the only day of the year that he was permitted to enter. And only the high priest, no one else, was permitted to enter into the Holy of Holies. Well, you see, Jesus fulfills that role for you and I today. He made atonement for our sin in a way that no sacrifice, no scapegoat could ever do. You see, not only is he our high priest, But also notice there in verse 14, he has passed through the heavens, the writer of Hebrews says. That's more than likely a reference to Jesus' ascension into heaven following his resurrection. And it's interesting that Jesus' ascension actually parallels the part where the the high priest would go into the holy of holies. It's the idea that, you know, Jesus left our sight to go into the presence of God. You know, just like the high priest left the side of the people when he went into the Holy of Holies. Not only has Jesus passed through the heavens, but look at verse 15. It says that he is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. It says that as high priest, Jesus can identify with us. He understands. He sympathizes with weaknesses. Now, you want to talk about sympathize? There's a nine-year-old kid sitting in a a third-grade classroom, sitting at his desk. All of a sudden, there is a puddle between his feet, and the front of his pants are wet, and he can't possibly imagine how this could have happened. It's never happened before. And he knows that if all the boys found out, he'll never hear the end of it. And when the girls find out, they will never want to talk to him again for the rest of his life. And he truly believes that his heart is about to stop. And so he just kind of puts his head down over his desk and he, he quietly mumbles this prayer. Dear, dear God, this is an emergency. I need help now because five minutes from now I am dead meat. He looks up from his prayer and here comes the teacher with a look in her eyes that says that he has been discovered. But as the teacher is coming to snatch him up, a classmate named Susie is carrying a goldfish bowl full of water. And Susie trips in front of the boy and inexplicably dumps this bowl in the boy's lap. Now the boy pretends to be angry, but inwardly he's saying, thank you, Jesus. Now all of a sudden, the boy is the object of sympathy. And the teacher rushes him downstairs, gives him gym shorts to wear while his pants dry out. And all of the children are on their hands and knees around the desk cleaning up the mess. And the sympathy is wonderful. 
the ridicule that should have been his was transferred to someone else, Susie. And as the day progressed, the sympathy for him grew better, and Susie's ridicule grew worse. At the end of the school day, they're waiting for the bus. Susie has been shunned by all the other children. And the boy walks over to Susie and says, Susie, you did that on purpose, didn't you? And she whispers back, I wet my pants once too. Now, the story illustrates a very simple point. Not only did God provide substitutionary, substitutionary atonement when the penalty of our sin was transferred to Jesus, but you see, we find that Jesus is he's fully God and fully man at the same time. And because he was fully man, he had entered into and participated with us and lived our life with us. So he understands. He, he sympathizes. He knows what it's like to stub your toe, to feel hungry and thirsty and, and dirty. He knows what it's like to be joyful or to be angry or to be sad or to be betrayed by his friends, frustrated in his purpose. He knows. He sympathizes. He understands. Or as the popular ad campaign says, he gets us. So our high priest can sympathize with our weaknesses. But look at the next thing there in verse 15. It says that he has been tempted in every way. So not only does our high priest understand our weaknesses, he understands our temptations too. He understands how we can get caught up in sin. Not because he ever got caught up in sin, but because he has been tempted. I mean, there were times when his humanity just pushed and pulled at Jesus. We know the story in Matthew 4 of Jesus being tempted by the devil in the wilderness right after his uh, baptism. And all three of those temptations were devious. The devil's best attempts to draw Jesus into sin. Now, one of those offers by Satan was to relinquish control of all the kingdoms of the world. He was basically giving Jesus an alternative to the cross. Basically saying, hey, I'll give you the whole world. All you got to do is bow down and worship me. And of course, Jesus refused, saying, go away, Satan. Or as your King James would say, get thee behind me, Satan. And don't push. No, I added that part. That's not in your Bible. Uh, but then he goes on to, to quote De- Deuteronomy 6.13. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. So Jesus was tempted in every way except, look at the next thing in verse 15. He was without sin. Now, the last two points have really emphasized the things that Jesus has in common, the things that are similar to us. But this final one actually emphasizes his distinction from us. Because even though Jesus was tempted, he never sinned. And the Bible makes that clear. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
1 John 3, 5, the Apostle John says, You know that he was revealed so that he might take away sins, and there is no sin in him. 1 Peter 2, 22, the Apostle Peter says, He did not commit sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. You and I, we can't claim that. Yeah, we've given in to temptation at some point in our lives. We've rebelled against God. Yet Jesus resisted the temptation and lived a sinless life. And because of who Jesus was and is, his role as high priest changed everything. See, in the old system, a goat would run off into the desert with the sins of the people placed on it. It was a symbol, a powerful symbol, yes, but still just a symbol. Jesus was and is the real thing. And up until Jesus' death, all of the sacrifices made merely covered over sin temporarily. But in Jesus, things change forever. Because Jesus was sinless and because he offered himself as a sacrifice for sin. Now the way to God is open for you and me. So Jesus is our high priest. He's passed through the heavens. He can sympathize with our weaknesses because he was tempted in every way, yet without sinning. But what does all that mean to us? Well, it basically means a couple of things. The Bible tells us of two privileges that we have because we have Jesus Christ as our great high priest. The first one we find in Hebrews 10.23, where the writer of Hebrews says that we can hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering. Other English translations will say hold fast or hold firmly or hold tightly. Uh, the Greek word that the writer of Hebrews actually uses means to hold on and to retain faithfully. Now, those of you who know me well, you know that I'm a geek. Okay, I was a geek early on. Uh, I'm still a geek today. Uh, I just confess that to you right now. I am a chubby, balding, 59-year-old geek. But uh, back in my college days, there were some geek things that I used to enjoy. And one of my favorite geek movies back in the day was called The Last Starfighter. Now, the main character is a young man named Alex Rogan, and he dreams of achieving greatness in his life. But unfortunately, he's working at the, as the fix-it man in the trailer park that his mom manages. And so he's thinking he's always going to be stuck in a dead-end life. One evening, one of the older trailer park residents, a man named Otis, he sees Alex brooding over his situation. And he says this, Oh, things change. Always do. You'll get your chance. Important thing is, when it comes, you've got to grab onto it with both hands and hold on tight. Well, that's actually what the writer of Hebrews is saying here. You know, when he says that we should hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, he means to grab onto it and to don't let go. To hold firmly to our faith, to cling to those experiences in the past when we have personally experienced God, when we have known in every part of our being that our faith is real, that He is real and alive, and that He loves us. And we're enabled to do that because Jesus is our great high priest. And because Jesus is our high priest, here's another benefit. 
Okay, the second one, you see that in verse 16 of Hebrews uh, 4. We can approach the throne of grace with boldness. See, prior to Jesus, the people needed a go-between. They needed a priest. Well, now Jesus has removed that barrier, and he's the only priest we will ever need. And each one of us is now enabled and welcome to bring our offering of worship directly to approach God directly in prayer. We can now know God personally, not at a distance, not only through others. Now we can go directly to obtain forgiveness and mercy and grace. You see, we, de- we don't need to go to a confessional to obtain absolution. We can go straight to the source of forgiveness. And that's probably the greatest truth of the priesthood of the believer. Now, according to the Old Covenant, the high priest could only go into the Holy of Holies once a year. There was this huge curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the tabernacle. A curtain, I mean, extremely tall, but also extremely thick that that, uh, separated the two. Now, each of the first three Gospels actually report that as Jesus died, this curtain was miraculously torn in two, top to bottom, removing the barrier that kept people away from the presence of God, both symbolically, but in a very literal way as well. And this symbol demonstrated that since Jesus has gone ahead of us as our great high priest, we no longer need other priests to intervene. Now we can go Directly. Now we can enter the most holy place of all, the throne of God. And not only that, but we can do it with boldness, the scripture says. So we find that membership has its privileges. But here's the second thing you need to understand because you are in the body of Christ, membership also has its sacrifices. See, not only is Jesus our great high priest, but now he has made us priests. 1 Peter 2, 5, you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Revelation 1, 6 which was in the song that Annika and the praise team actually sang a few minutes ago. Jesus has made us a kingdom of priests to God, to his God and Father. And like the Old Testament priests, who according to the Mosaic law, were required to make daily sacrifices as God's holy priesthood, we also need to offer him daily spiritual sacrifices. Let's talk about that. There's actually six sacrifices we're going to discuss that are necessary for our spiritual development as priests. Here's the first one. Offer the sacrifice of your body. Now we see this in Romans chapter 12 verse 1 where Paul says, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Now, in this context, that the Greek word for body, it means a living body. It's indicating the whole person. So Paul challenged 
believers to give all of themselves to the Lord. So every day when you get out of bed, you've got a choice about whom you're going to serve. Now, you can either be a carnal Christian and serve yourself, or you can be a spiritual Christian and serve the Lord. Now, a lot, a lot of you will remember the story of Corrie ten Boom. She was the Dutch woman whose family uh, hid Jews from the German occupation of the Netherlands. Uh, many, many years after that fact, when she was 80 years old, Corrie ten Boom was speaking at a church in Copenhagen, Denmark. And her text was Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And after church, two nurses invited her to their apartment for lunch. And Corey went with them, only to discover that they lived on the 10th floor and there was no elevator. She didn't think she could mount the stairs. But since the nurses were so eager for her visit, she decided to try. And by the fifth floor, Corey's heart was just pounding. She collapsed in a chair on the landing. And looking upward, the stairs just seemed to ascend into infinity. And Corey wondered if she might actually die en route. But she bravely pressed on. One of the nurses was in front of her. One followed behind her. And finally reaching the apartment, Corey found that the parents of one of those nurses was there. And she soon discovered that neither one of them were Christians. But both were eager to hear the gospel. And so opening her Bible, Corey ten Boom carefully explained the plan of salvation. And she said this, I have traveled in more than 60 countries and have never found anyone who said they were sorry they had given their hearts to Jesus. You will not be sorry either. And that day they both prayed for Christ to enter into their lives. And on her way down the steps, Corey ten Boom said, Thank you, Lord, for making me walk up all those steps. And next time, Lord, help Corey ten Boom listen to her own sermon about being willing to go anywhere you tell me to go, even up ten flights of stairs. See, as Christ's priest, there's a sacrifice we must make. We offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, as our whole person. But here's the next one. We must also offer the sacrifice of love. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. Paul tells the believers at Ephesus, walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us. A sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. So here we're commanded to walk in love. Now, a lot of you know that in the Greek New Testament, there's four different words for love. The one Paul uses here is the one you're most familiar with, agape. Agape refers to a willful, uh, self-sacrificial, others-centered sort of love. But that love actually begins with our love for God. We are to set our affection on Him. Our first responsibility is to love Him. But then as a natural extension of our love for God, we're to love people the way that Christ loved them in a self-sacrificial way. You'll recall that when Jesus was asked which was the greatest commandment, his response was pretty simple. He said, love the Lord your God, God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command, he said. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's pretty simple. Love God, love people. Now, you know, we don't have to love some of their actions. We can look beyond those things and, and still show them the love that God has for them. 
And you know what? Not, not everyone may even seem lovable to you. In fact, there might even be some people that don't want your love. And that's when you say to God, uh, you know, in my human capacity, I'm not sure how to love these people. Would you love them through me? So, one sacrifice of our priestly membership is love. Here's the next one. Offer the sacrifice of faith. Going to Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes, I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith. Real quickly, what's a drink offering? It's a reference to the, uh, an Old Testament ritual. It was actually part of the observance of the Day of Atonement. And according to the Levitical law, when a worshiper's burnt offering was consumed by fire, the worshiper would often pour a drink offering on top of it. And the wine poured on those, those burning coals would create a sweet aroma. And of course, the, the symbolism points us forward from Leviticus all the way to the Gospels to the Lord Jesus pouring out his soul, dying for us. And here, Paul's declaring that his very life is an offering that has been poured out in sweet service to God. So here's Paul writing to the Philippians from a Roman prison, and he speaks about the sacrifice of faith. And that the Greek word for faith, it means believing on the basis of the reliability of the one trusted. In other words, in order for you to have true biblical faith, that faith must have the right object. And so Paul was commending the Philippian Christians for their conviction, their trust, their belief in Christ. Christ was the foundation of their faith. And you know what? If Christ is not the foundation of our faith, man, you need to re-examine your life because something ain't right. In his book, The Case for Faith, the uh, atheist-turned-Christian apologist Lee Strobel wrote this. He said, the only object of faith that is solidly supported by the evidence of history and archaeology and literature and experience is Jesus. But you see, the Philippians' faith was being played out in self sacrificial ways. And Paul had this conviction that, that his own imprisonment was actually helping others to grow in their conviction for service to the Lord. He was willing to die if necessary so that their faith would grow. So to help others grow in faith, that's a true sacrifice. And of course, God controls the results of that. Our responsibility is simply to be a Faithful to the Lord. Faithful to teach those that He allows to enter into our lives. And as Christ's priests, not only do we offer the sacrifice of faith, here's the next one. We offer the sacrifice of gifts. Paul in Philippians chapter 4, again speaking to the church at Philippi, he says that their gifts are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. You see, Paul had received this generous gift from the Philippians, and he told them that because of that gift, he had received everything in full. And I have felt, I have, I have an abundance, he says, I am fully supplied. In other words, Paul, he, he felt complete. Now, Jesus told his disciples, there's folks out there who need a drink of water. 
people who need something to eat, people who are strangers and need help, people who need clothes, people who are sick and need someone to visit after them, people who are in prison and need a visitor. That's in Matthew 25. So we are to be the kind of people who are willing to sacrifice to meet the needs of such people. As Christ's priests, we offer the sacrifice of gifts. But then, here's another one, we offer the sacrifice of praise. This is Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. It says, let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of lips that confess his name. A great sacrifice is to praise God on a regular basis. Now, that's what we're supposed to be doing here on Sunday mornings, to offer God a sacrifice of praise. But since it's God we're worshiping, it must be a worthy offering, the best that we can offer. So that means, you know, no half-baked, you know, go, go through the motions, efforts of, of praising Him, you know. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you. Oh, my soul, rejoice. Take joy, my King, in what you hear. May it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. Yeah, that's not the way to do it. <laughs> There's a couple of words in the New Testament that are translated as praise, okay? Uh, the most common word uh, that's translated as praise, it's used here in, in Hebrews, Inesis is the word, or in its verb form, aineo. Okay, so Inesis refers to expressing approval or speaking well about someone. So when we praise God, we're speaking well of Him. We are declaring His worth. And when we say thank you, God, for all that He's done for us, we're praising Him. The writer of Hebrews says that this is an activity that should be done continually. Unfortunately, it seems like you know, a lot of Christians are more grumblers than, than worshipers, but our responsibility each morning is to rise and give Him glory, to praise the Lord for all of His blessings to us. Did we get up this morning and praise His name? Do we thank Him for who He is and what He's done and what He's yet to do? Well, the writer of Hebrews instructs us to offer the sacrifice of praise. But here's the next one. The very next verse in Hebrews 13, he says, Offer the sacrifice of service. Hebrews 13, 16. Don't neglect to do what is good and to share, for God is pleased with such sacrifices. We're to do what's good. Good meaning good deeds, you know, service. Uh, now, the Greek word for share is koinonia. You've probably heard that one before. It basically means a close association involving mutual interests and sharing. So, so think partnership or fellowship or association or, or close relationship. One that involves sharing. So here in verse 16, we find that God's people are to be partners in doing good for one another. And it pleases God when we see His people working together, doing His work. And the world's going to, they're going to stand up and take notice if we're truly working together as one. 
Those are the privileges and the sacrifices of the priesthood of the believer. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you'd like to have a personal relationship with God, it's pretty simple. It's repent, believe, and receive. We acknowledge that we're all sinners who fall short, and we repent. That word means to change your mind about the way you've been living. Then you choose to believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for you. And you receive, by faith, God's gift of forgiveness, salvation, and eternal life. If you don't have a church home, we'd love to have you join us at Beach Street. Small group Bible study begins at 9.30 on Sundays, followed by worship at 10.45. There's a midweek Bible study on Wednesdays at 6. You'll find us at the corner of 6th and Beach Street in downtown Texarkana. And for more info, visit our website at beachstreetfbc.org.